card that's on the back side of your program. If you could take that and just, uh, just go ahead and tear that off. Everyone has a pen underneath your chair. If you could do me the favor of filling out that red side, that helps us know who's here today. Um, even if you're brand new, this is your first time, if you could fill that out, that'd be awesome. And as you exit, we've got baskets that are going to be by the doors. You can go ahead and just put those in there. That'd be fantastic. That's the first thing I'd like you to do. Second thing is this. I'd like you to contemplate the backside. The backside is kind of where we're going. Um, the backside of the card, it's the blue card, and it has three declarations. And those three declarations are really out there because I believe that amazing things happen when we interact with the story of what Jesus did for us. That, that that actually moves and changes somebody if they're far from God, and that actually moves and changes someone even if they're a Christian following God. And so if any of the three things on the back side of that note applies to you, I encourage you to go ahead and check that off as well. And before you leave, you can just put that in the basket as you're leaving, and that'll help us follow up and, and encourage you in light of that. That would be fantastic. Which, of course, brings us to the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is the most famous uh, image, if you think of art, if you do a Google search for famous art, the Mona Lisa is one of the key pictures that you, you see but as we realize, we look at the canvas and the, the painting of the Mona Lisa, we realize that, that art is more than just paint on canvas, that it's more than that. Uh, our art starts with an artist, uh, with a concept, with a mind, with a dream, with a unique way of expressing oneself onto canvas, with a unique way of projecting oneself into an image, even projecting a part of yourself into a medium is art. And art, the best art, is a disturbance. Art that really is art is a disturbance. It's a break with something that has happened prior to it. It's a break with whatever's taken place before, and all of a sudden this disturbance takes place, and that's art. And the reason that we're talking about that this Easter weekend is because this is our story. Our story starts this way. It also has an artist. See, in our story, the artist disturbed the darkness of space as light and matter and gas sprung into life and action. And all of a sudden, brilliance became something that we saw throughout the galaxies. And this artist poured his dream into this fragile perfection of a planet that was just capable of sustaining life. And at the epicenter of his canvas, his masterpiece, was us. Humanity was his masterpiece. We are the people that are the canvas for his greatest work. Our biology screams this. We realize that our heart does more than just pump blood. Our eyes do more than simply see, that our mind does more than simply propose and push survival. That there's within our consciousness a deeper reflection, a deeper image that's being painted. And that is the image of our creator. The opening of the Bible communicates this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, we were image bearers, image bearers of the perfect and loving creator God. And you don't need the Bible to tell you that something went wrong. You just have to watch the news or talk to your family or listen to your own thoughts to know that something went sideways. But the Bible does inform us how it went down. The Bible lets us know that very early on, what we decided to do is to take the paintbrush from the artist, from God, and say, this is mine now, and to take it into our own hands. We are the artist. We are the designer. We are the source of our own image. We are God. 
Very early on, you see that the, this creator didn't just jettison his creation, but instead engaged them. And what he did was he engages his creation with, with the law. And this wasn't just to give his people a list of do's and don'ts, but instead to repaint for them the image that he was, to express to them, this is who I am, and this is what I'm calling you to be. The law, the second law that, that he gave his people out of love was this, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And yet historically, we continue to struggle with this concept of image. We continually make this something that is ours, that, that I want the image, the, the, the epicenter, the, the, my, my, the point of my own affection. I want it to be something that I can own, that I can purchase, that I can possess. My image is something that I want to be able to trade or destroy or kick to the curb or something, but, but it's, it's mine. My fingerprints are on it. I am the master of it. I'm the one whose who's destiny, my destiny is in my own hands. And the poets and the prophets of the Old Testament surface to communicate how poor a trade this is. And when we trade the image of God for something else, it's a bad trade. For they exchange their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. This is a lame trade. And the writers of the Old Testament continue talking about, do you, do you realize this thing that you're trying to seek after, doesn't, it's futile, it, it's fruitless. And the, and the writers of the Old Testament realize what you and I have already experienced firsthand. One writer put it this way, see, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are only wind and confusion. Scripture is very clear that whenever we take this image of God that he's crafted in us and say, nope, I'm the, I'm the crafter of my own image, what we end up doing is making who we are and what we revolve ourselves around, what our center is about something other than who he is. And that's taking good things and making it the center. So I could take a good thing like, um, I could take a good thing like my family. I could take a good thing like, like possessions. Possessions are good. I could take a good thing like security or money or the relationship, or my children. I could take those things. If I, if I take those good things and I make them the ultimate thing, the thing that my image hinges on, all of a sudden the side effects are disastrous. What ends up happening is this. I end up spending the entirety of my life, every point on the timeline, I'm chasing after this relationship, this marriage. I'm chasing after children. I'm chasing after this element in my job career where I have actually, I've accumulated some type of status. I, I'm chasing after this amount of stuff or whatever. And I keep on chasing and chasing and chasing and I never get it. My life is chasing after something I can't. Never get my arms around like wind. Or worse, I get it. I actually do catch up to it. And I grab my arms around it and all of a sudden I get that relationship. I get the boyfriend. I get the girlfriend. I get the child. I get the job. I get the success. I get the car. I get the status. I get the approval. I get the grade. And all of a sudden, as soon as I have it, I have absolute confusion because of the fact that this thing that I was chasing after didn't satisfy, didn't fulfill like I thought it would. And so I have to look down the way and continue to run and pursue the next thing, which this time for sure is going to be the thing that actually satisfies, actually holds me up, actually makes me whole, actually saves me. By the time we get into the first century, the, the New Testament writer Paul identifies the source of our image worship problem when he says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, 
Images to make, to, made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. See, these things are all things that you can see and you can touch, you can explain. It's very easy to make my image about something that I can hold and I can control and I can, I can actually possess. But to make my image about someone I can't see, that's too far-fetched. I know who God is, but I'm not going to glorify him as God or let him take the place in my life of actually molding and shaping me because I'm kind of a control freak. See, what happens, though, is is the side effects ends up screwing us up because if we look, if we're actually, if the Bible is accurate and that we're actually formed in the image of God, that means that we're formed in the image of God and the way that life functions and works is that we recognize I'm not only formed in the image of God, I'm formed for God. That if I live my life in any way that's going to distance myself from that, that actually leads to a deformation of my humanity. I'm less human. I'm not as human as I could be because I'm distancing myself from his image and what he's crafted me to be. Let me give you an example. This is an iPhone 6 Plus. It's a phone. How many of you have an iPhone 6 Plus? Anyone? Good stuff? Good, good. Happy, happy people with iPhone 6 Pluses. Let me tell you why they're happy. This phone is awesome. (laughs) It was formed and designed not to just be a phone, but to have 128 gigabytes of storage space. Remember a time when computers didn't have that? It was formed with this one with with a silver finish, a Retina HD display that is multi-touch with IPS technology. It has a 1920 by 1080p resolution with an A8 chip and 64-bit architecture. And I have no idea what most of that means. The pictures, the pictures that it was designed to take have an 8 megapixel resolution. That's epic. And it can shoot video at an HD level. Most of us don't have video cameras that can do that. But our phone can do that. That was its design by Apple. Apple designed it that way. And when we're experiencing this device, the way that it was formed, it's a pretty rad experience. It's amazing. However, if I make the, the claim that, you know what, I know that's how Apple designed it to be as a phone, as this device that could do all these different things. But I want to... as it's mine. And so I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Whenever we take something that was designed and formed to be a certain way, and we say, I'm going to use it in a different thing for something different than it was formed, the results are disastrous. It does not always go the way that we planned. Instead, all of a sudden, things start to just break down. Things start to go sideways. And this iPhone 6 Plus ceases to be the phenomenal device that Apple designed it to be. And for some reason, it just ceases to function. That's actually what we say a lot in this world. I just don't understand why things don't function. My, my life is not functioning well. Like it's, I don't understand why it's so difficult and complicated, but it, it just is it's not functioning. And the reality is, is what happens with our life, whenever we say, okay, this is who I am and created in the image of God, but I'm going to take the paintbrush into my own hand, is that we slowly have a slow distortion that takes place in our soul. And bit by bit, our soul gets bent more and more out of shape. And over the course of your lifetime, the old you, that old creation just gets more and more prevalent and strong. The anger that you never bring back to the image of God and what he's crafted you to be continues to grow and spread until you're hardened and bitter. The lust in your heart that seems so manageable at one point spreads to the point where it's poisoned every the way that you look and think about the world around you. The lies, which seem such an incredible resource and tool, all of a sudden start to overwhelm you to the point that you don't think that you can manage them anymore and you're constantly recognizing that your credibility is being second-guessed over and over again and you slowly seep into this world that is hell. 
I believe hell is a place. I do believe it's a future place. But I believe that, that we experience degrees of this now when we all of a sudden are distancing ourselves from the image of God in us and we start to take that, that brush in our own hands. The author, uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the, the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, he envisioned hell, after reading the Bible, he envisioned hell this way, that hell is this place where it is kind of the fulfillment of our entire life of becoming professional distancers from the image of God. So if anger is a thing that I've given my life to, over the course of my life, I give myself more and more to that until finally in hell it becomes its purest form. It is pure bitterness or lust and the endless pursuit of this pleasure that seems to just elude me every time. It's my whole life has been pursuing that. I've become such a professional at it that in hell, it's the fulfillment. It's complete unsatisfaction, complete endless searching for something that I cannot quite grasp. That hell is the fulfillment of that. Hell is the destruction. It is the final destruction of the image of God in you. If you want to know where there is no image of God, it is in that place, in that time, when all of a sudden every ability to be redeemed is gone. And the image of God is also gone. To which you might be saying, why in the world are you bumming me out so much this Sunday? Seriously, this is Easter. Easter! You got pastors wearing ties. It's Easter. <laughs> Talk to me about Cadbury bunny eggs or something. Talk to me about peeps and noises in your head. And give you diabetes. But don't talk to me about hell. I mean, hell is not something that we want to... But here's the reality. This is part of our story. This is a part of the good news. The amazing news of Easter has to do with the darkness and the emptiness of hell. Because of this. Just like art is a disruption... Just like art is, is a break in what was happening before it, so is the Easter story because Jesus came near. Jesus broke into the darkness. He broke into the reality of hell. And he said, this is not the end of the story. This is not the period at the end of the sentence. This is not how it's going to roll out. Jesus enters into history to rewrite into us the image of God we had lost. But how could he do this? Jesus could do this because he was there in the very beginning. The book of John says, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Who created you in the image of God? Jesus did it. Who crafted the image of God in you? It was him. And so he has the ability to restore that image in you. But it's not just because he's a designer or some creative artist. It's because he's actually God. The son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you get confused with who God is as you're reading through the Old Testament, look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want clarity, look at Jesus. Look at his life. And it's the filter to then read the Old Testament through and the New Testament to realize that in Jesus was walking and talking God in the flesh. All the holiness, all the judgment, all the wrath, all the grace, all the love, all the truth is embodied in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And this is amazing because this truth is something that, that, that for us who feel distant from God, it's important for us to realize that as, even though Jesus came, that's not enough. Because remember that thing that God gave us to help repaint that image of him in us, the law? That's exhibit A, how far we are from God. When I, when I look at the law, the thing that God said, this is who I am and this is what I've called you to be, that's exhibit A with how guilty I am. I look back at that and I'm, when I read the Bible, I'm like, I'm so far from that. That's hopeless. The law condemns me. There's no hope for me. The Bible condemns me. This bums me out. What a guilt trip. There's no hope. That's why Jesus had to break through. 
That's when the disruption took place. Paul put it this way. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's good news. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. That means that there's no person, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what your nationality is, I don't care who you root for or how your bracket was destroyed or anything. I don't care what, your, what issues you had in your past, what family you came from, whether they were a religious family or atheist family or whatever you've done to make God distant from you, that this has been given freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, this is every world religion, every world of religion that you study is going to tell you what you have to do to get to God. If you do this, this, and this, you're going to be able to get to God. You'll appease his wrath. If you do this, this, and this, or you pray this amount of times, or this holy, or you go to this right church, or you go to this right synagogue, or you do this, this, and this, if you do all of this stuff, then God's going to accept you. Jesus is the only founder, if you want to call him that, he's the only founder of a world religion that looks at his people and are honest and says, you cannot get to God. There's no way you can get to God. But because I love you, I who am God will get to you. That's what happened on the cross. That's what we celebrate in Good Friday. The fact that on the cross, Jesus paid for my sin. But that's not the end of the story. And if Jesus paid for my sin, that's it. That's great. My sins were forgiven. But then I wake up on Monday. And I sin again. Does he have to go back to the cross and be crucified all over again? No, he paid for sins once and for all. But something else happened. The story wasn't ended at the cross. See, because what happened when those women went to the tomb and they saw that the stone had rolled away was the fact that they realized this was not the end of the story. The end of the story was the fact that Jesus rose again and that now, because of that, we have the same power that rose him from the grave to help us become conformed into his image. That we've become the canvas once again. That he's restored his people once again. Amen? Amen. And now we have a chance to actually, it's not your ability or your ability to like morally muscle yourself into being a good person. It's you turning the rain, making a decision to turn the reins over to him and become the canvas over and over again. Paul said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I've been really uh, digging uh, this, this author named Joshua Butler. And Joshua Butler put it this way. He said, Jesus has taken the fire and darkness of our own old world into himself on the cross. He has borne the anti-creative power of our sin carried the weight of its darkness, extinguished its wildfire, buried it in the grave, and conquered it to the power of his resurrection. Jesus now ushers in the reconciling life of the kingdom. In his presence is the new creation. He has borne the holy judgment of God and now embraces the world with the holy salvation of God. Jesus welcomes us to receive his kingdom. The king wants to pardon. The lamb desires to forgive. The great physician longs to heal. We cannot get him dirty. He can only make us clean. On the cross, his arms were opened wide to embrace his sin-sick world. And now, now in resurrection power, he raises his voice strong and calls the ends of the earth to be gathered to his kingdom, to receive his reconciling presence and prepare for the resurrection to come. And I love this next part. Though we are rebels, his voice calls to us daughter and son. 
To receive his embrace is to enter the new. To refuse his embrace is to remain in the old. Jesus has conquered the anti-creation. Jesus is the new creation. Amen? That's amazing. He did it. The keys to death and hell are over. It's, it's not something that, that happens anymore. Now all of a sudden we look at the, the mess of our life that's so confusing, that seems so difficult to see what God was doing and we're recognizing that if you're in Jesus, he's putting together an image that's different. He's putting together an image of himself. He's coming to you and restoring in you the image of God. He's restoring in you the image of Jesus. He's the only one who could do this. The Bible tells us this. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you're in Jesus, he's writing and painting a new picture in you. And it's very easy for us to see this and say, I don't know, I don't know about this. Because I look out at the world and I see a whole lot of injustice. I see a whole lot of suffering. I see a whole lot of reasons for me to say, God, where were you when this person died prematurely and there, nothing happened? They died. Where were you when this tragedy, I just watched the news and this tragedy happened to this little kid. Where were you when that happened? Where were you when all these atrocities took place? Where's the justice? If you're a good God, where, why, when? Where were you? Scripture speaks into that and says, I was on the cross and I paid for all the brokenness of every sin that took place. In me and what I did, someone had to pay. And so I took it on myself. I paid for it. But the difference between God's question or my question and God's question is this. God turns to me and questions me and says, but Errol, you can be really frustrated with all the brokenness and suffering you see all around you. But I equally want to step into the heart, your heart and deal with the sins that you are totally comfortable with. And I want to write a different story. I want you to become the canvas that are transformed into my image. I want you to let me restore in you what you cannot restore on your own. On Good Friday, a couple days ago, we had all around this room these black boards, these large black boards all around the room. And Pastor Jason gave everyone the opportunity to write on those one word or one phrase to identify one thing that had been something that they had not sacrificed over to the Lord or something that because of his sacrifice could be forgiven. And people wrote lust, people wrote anger, the lack of forgiveness. People wrote anxiety and just this endless worrying, insecurity. They wrote all these things on these boards all throughout the room. And what you just saw were those same boards being painted over with a different picture. See, what Jesus does in his forgiveness, it's not simply just to forgive you, it's restoring you. It's not just wiping out something that's bad. He's actually breathing in new life, new creation, a new way to the one who's overwhelmed with lust, to the point you feel like it's no longer manageable, it's all-encompassing, and you feel like there's no hope for you or no place for you, he says, I want to bring you back to the picture that I'm painting inside of you and help you understand that I am restoring in you something that is truly you. That's not you. And you know that that's not bringing you any satisfaction, but I'm one who brings you fulfillment and peace 
and it's in my power that you have restoration in life. To the one who's overwhelmed with anxiety and petrified and paralyzed by the perspective that other people have about them, about the way people judge you and how much you have or you don't have, about the way people look at you and your status or your grades or, or, or how successful you are. And he says, I am calling you to a different painting that I'm painting for you to help you realize that, that my love for you is not dependent on your performance, not dependent on anything you could possibly do, but it's dependent on the fact of what I've already done for you on the cross. I loved you that much. To the person who's overwhelmed with sorrow and hopelessness, who's experienced death. He brings us back to the reality of a different painting he's painting in our life. That death has lost its sting. That there's hope beyond this world. But there's not only hope beyond this world, there's hope now, here and now, as he continues to do this in your life and mine. We are the canvas transformed to his image. Is that your story? Are you experiencing the life that he's created you to be? Or are you still walking in the death, the pre-cross, the pre-resurrection? He's got something better for you. It's a surrender. It absolutely is a surrender. But it's a surrendering to someone who desires to love you so much that he's going to restore the image of God in you. And that impacts every day from here on out. God's not interested in some kind of like supernatural hospice care in your life where he just wants to make you happy between now and the day you die. He wants to enter into this moment and transform you every day. Will you let him? Will you let him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the amazing truth and reality that we are not alone, that this life has meaning, the fact that you have uh, looked at us and even though we have been in rebellion, you've called us sons and daughters. You love us so much that you desire to make in us the image of your son. You desire to recraft the image of you. And Lord, that impacts every moment of our world. Lord, I pray that you help us right now as we surrender to you. Help us as we celebrate the life we have, that you've made us alive and we will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.